0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Friday, February 5th, 2020. This weekend is the 81st anniversary of the premiere of Pinocchio.
1: I remember it like it was yesterday, Jim.
0: We've talked about the little people who were hired to dress as Pinocchio. Do you remember yes. this story? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> Pinocchio was presented at the Center Theater in New York, which had a big marquee facing out onto 6th Avenue. And evidently, the folks at the theater thought it would be a really smart way to promote the film if they hired little people to dress as Pinocchio and what they would do. And I guess there were five or six of them, because again, it's February, it's cold. One would go out and dance on the marquee for a little while and get cold, and then another one would tap in. They're up on the marquee for hours. It's cold. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're particularly thirsty. And somebody (laughs) hands them up a a basket full of liquor, and it kind of goes sideways from there. Suddenly, all six of the Pinocchios are out on the marquee dancing because they've had a little too much to drink and they're I, I think they're also gambling and I think a few of them may have taken their clothes off.
1: This sounds remarkably like my bachelor party, Jim. <laughs> I mean, it really does.
0: <laughs> well, I had always heard this as a story, and you know, obviously Disney hushed this up because this wasn't really wasn't the sort of publicity they wanted for an animated feature. But years later, I had a great English teacher in high school, Mr. Paul Hanning, whose dad was a captain in the New York city police force. And I don't know how this came up. And he just started to laugh. He said, that was my dad's Thanksgiving story that we got called. And there's a bunch of uh, half naked midgets. They're drunk. They're rolling craps. They're on the marquee of the cedar. And he had to climb up the ladder and then put individually each of these little people in a blanket and carry them down to haul them away to book them. So we have corroboration (laughs) of this story. Boy, that is a deviation from what I wanted to talk about, which is the live-action Pinocchio. Uh, we we just had yep. some some new casting news this week. Do you want to talk about that? Or
1: yeah, it looks like Luke Evans is going to be in the the thing, and I I didn't realize this, but he you actually found a quote from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it broke during an Entertainment Tonight yep. interview earlier this week, but he'll be playing the coachman. And he was saying that this new version is going to be a huge, huge movie. Mm-hmm. He then said, I'm so proud to be part of another wonderful Disney live-action remake. I was super honored to be offered to play the Coachman. I'm definitely going to have a lot of fun playing him. That's for sure. And obviously he is referring to, he was guest on. There we go. There we go. beating the Beast. So we got to say hi, Ava. How are you? I hope your your week is going well. Um, well,
0: well, speaking of which, A- Ava's dad, obviously, Josh Gad, w- was in uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, the live action. Never heard, from, from <laughs> never heard of him. From 2017. <laughs> but he also got asked about the prequel series, which is being prepped for Disney+. And again, I think you were the one who broke the news on the name of this thing, right? Or-
1: yes, it is called Little Town.
0: Okay. Just like both the animated as well as the live action, Beauty and the Beast it's going to have uh, music from Alan Menken, and Evans talked a little bit about that as part of this interview. It will be a very different story that's going to be very unexpected and introduce some wonderful new characters. Should point it, but not animated. So why are we talking about this on Fine Tuning? Five minutes in, Drew. We're totally off track.
1: Well, I mean, it is based on an animated I get it, Jim. Oh. I see the connection.
0: Okay. You know. Okay. What else? Uh, this? Oh, oh, the Golden Globes. So we had five films nominated for Best Animated Feature. Not a whole lot of surprises there. No. You know, one of them has a wonderful book, by the way, The Art of Onward. <laughs> I just want to slide that mention in there. But all right. <laughs> so we have crude's A New Age. We have Onward. Actually, two from Pixar. We have Onward and Soul. We have Wolfwalkers, which I made no bounds of what I would really like to see win. And Over the Moon, the Glenn Keane film from Netflix. I guess would like the last 10 years or so, whenever somebody wins an animated feature thing, that is kind of a an indication, a precursor of what's going to happen at the Academy Awards, right?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, most of the Golden Globes is pretty iffy. Mm-hmm. Let us not forget that Madonna was nominated for Evita. Oh yeah! And just this year, having Amy Adams nominated for Hillbilly Elegy mm. is just—it's insane. Mm. As well as Jared Leto for Little Things. Mm. So yeah, they don't have a lot of taste. Um, you can you can look up the kind of mysterious backstory of the no 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 HFPCA, they're, they're, what is it? It's basically ninety guys, right? And it's ninety foreign journalists mm-hmm. who are working for international publications mm-hmm. but live in L.A. Okay. And it's so funny how the studios suck up to them. I mean, it is hilarious. You know, they have their individual days during press junkets. Mm-hmm. They have all this. It's it's funny.
0: The actual ceremony, is, it's markedly different than the Academy Awards. It's basically a party night, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a couple of uh, bottles of scotch away from being the drunken <laughs> Pinocchio promotional campaign. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. A lot of booze.
0: This show is a draw because of the people who were in the room. But this year, that's going to be different. I mean, they just announced it's going to be hosted virtually. We've got Tina Fey is going to be in New York. Amy Poehler is going to be in L.A., the the Beverly Hilton. And then when you, you factor in that normally there's only a couple of weeks between the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards. In fact, last year, Globes were held on January 5th. The awards were held on February 9th, so only five weeks apart. Whereas this time around, I think you were talking about it on the, late, the last show, the Academy Awards of
1: April twenty fifth. It I would believe. go. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I guess I don't see the momentum, the connective tissue this time around. I, I, I don't know if it's it's going to be uh, what it was in years previous, which people would look. Oh, they
1: won the Golden Globe. So, and I know you're going to miss Ricky Gervais being a little bit cheeky. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nobody's safe from me, Ricky Gervais. So. Oh. There you go. Oh,
0: wow. Who knew yeah. that you had this talent? Golly cow. <laughs> okay. Well, just on the last show, we, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the great uh, effects animation that we saw in the trailer for Kong versus Godzilla. But you pointed out today that uh, Netflix has a brand new uh, animated series. Well, not brand new. It's based on the Guillermo de Toro Pacific Rim franchise. Yes. Pacific Rim the
1: Black. Yes. And I. You know, what's interesting is this is not the first Pacific Rim animated series that was attempted. In fact, Guillermo and a lot of the same people that ended up working on our favorite show, Troll Hunters, Mm. were developing a show. I think in 2014, they had animatics, they had boards for everything. Wow. And then they got the call that Troll Hunters was going forward Mm. instead, and their idea was abandoned. So, this has no connection to that one. This one is sort of a computer-generated anime style I think it looks pretty neat myself I but. really enjoyed the
0: trailer you, you sent me the link to uh, look I enjoyed the original from July of 2013 but I think one of the reasons that one works so well is it was an R the sequel in 2018 didn't the studio officially issue orders the effect of it had to be a PG or PG13
1: No the first the first one is PG13 There we go uh, okay what my mistake with the sequel Yep yeah the sequel I think was just Guillermo had been developing it for a long time. His version was too expensive. Mm -hmm. So they kind of kicked him out. And I think a lot of the charm, I love the first movie. I think it's fabulous. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, but that sequel really sucks a lot.
0: I don't know. I just remember the stories that one of the notes they got from the studio was the effect of, I guess, apologies for saying the R, but yeah, the PG 13 did keep a a certain audience segment out and they, they wanted a softer rating to get more kids in. But yeah, I'll definitely check out this series. But that debuts on Netflix on March 8th. By the way, coming back on March 6th on the Disney Channel, we get a brand new pile of Amphibia episodes. We get four weeks of brand new shows, starting on March 6th all the way through March 27th.
1: That's good news, Jim, because Amphibia, I don't I don't know if you've been keeping up with Amphibia, but it is great. I'm
0: kind of intrigued by this sort of serialized story that sort of slid in quietly. Yeah, particularly this upcoming set of episodes. In fact, I'm I'm kind of reluctant to read the log lines on some of them because they do give away a certain amount of... In fact, there's one that Disney deliberately held back called After the Rain that evidently really rolls a lot of story out there. Wow. But before I I guess I dive into Amphibia and catch what's going on with the Plantars, earlier this week, you were blithering about Kid Cosmic. Can you talk about this new Craig McCracken show?
1: Yeah, the whole show is on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. I think it went up on Tuesday. It's just really, really exceptional. Have you gotten a chance to start watching it yet, Jim? (laughs) I
0: still have those five episodes of Animaniacs to get through.
1: Well, somebody texted me after our last show and said, Jim's commitment to Disenchanted (laughs) is truly remarkable. (laughs) because I I don't know if anyone else is watching it besides you, Jim, but – Keep the, the flame going, but yeah, Kid Cosmic is by Craig McCracken, mm-hmm. who has worked on probably some of your favorite television shows, including Powerpuff Girls and no, no, Wander
0: Over Yonder, which to this day breaks yeah, my Wonder, heart. Wander, which is great. We only got what three seasons
1: of that, if that. Uh, I think we got two, and he said that they had a third season ready to go and they just didn't want it anymore, so it went away sadly. But this show. Is great. It's a half-hour animated show. It's super serialized, and there will be more, Jim. This is not a one-off. Okay. That's all I will say. But you have to get to the end to see sort of where the the show is headed. So I cannot recommend it enough. Really, really great.
0: A lot of talk about the look of the show. Two D has a, a very distinctive look.
1: Yeah, Mercury Filmworks did the animation. Who do the Mickey animation mm-hmm. and uh, Hilda? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're un- they're unbelievable. Mm.
0: As long as we're talking about Netflix shows with a great look. You also gave me a heads up about City of Ghosts, which I just checked the trailer out on. And holy cow, that just looks great. I mean, mind you, it's a very, very, very L.A. show. In fact, I haven't been to L.A. in a year now uh, because of COVID. And I miss my daughter and I miss the city. And it was just sort of like, oh, L.A.,
1: oh. Yeah, but it's got a very interesting style. Mm -hmm. Like, it's sort of document. It almost seems Mm documentary-ish. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. Very, very much looking forward to this one. And uh, kind of intrigued by the whole L.A. City of Angels. And this is, uh, you know, set in L.A. and City of Ghosts. What do you
1: make of the response to uh, Earwig and the Witch? I mean, it's not the best Mm -hmm. Studio Ghibli movie. But as someone who just wants a new Studio Ghibli film, I was like, all right, this is fine. I mean... What's better, Jim, no pizza or some kind of crummy pizza? You know what I mean? Like, that's sort of my philosophy. So I think you should watch it. Okay,
0: I get that analogy. And yes, you know, that, that even bad pizza is relatively good. Yes. Speaking of Miyazaki, though, of course, the first thing to put, you know, the, the guy behind Studio Ghibli on the map was... Uh, the Castle of Caliostro, uh from 79, the the, the second feature film for Lupin. And I, I know you've been talking about Lupin the First, the Third, or Lupin the Third, the First?
1: Lupin the Third, the First, yeah. There we go, the, yeah. the CG
0: film, which evidently did so well. And this year, I, I guess, is the 50th anniversary of The Gentleman Thief. So what they've decided to do to sort of cash in on Lupin the Third, the First, TMS Entertainment... Is releasing digitally the first Lupin feature, the Lupin the Third, the Mystery of Mamo, and this was released in 1978, and it was the year afterwards, '79, that we got the Castle of Caleastro, which for a lot of folks is what really it's like. Who is the guy who made this? It's like, oh, you know, it's this is Hayao Miyazaki, you know, who also you know worked on the, the Lupin series and you know such. But yep, definitely, definitely uh, worth checking out.
1: There's also a live-action Lupin show. Have you seen that, Jim? Alice
0: has talked about there's, this.
1: There's a live-action. Okay. now. Okay, okay. Now, are we talking but about... But you, you haven't watched it yet.
0: I have not watched it. I have seen the live-action stunt show that was done at Universal Studios Japan, which was kind of interesting. And they What? Yeah, they actually did a street show with Lupin. And not only that, they had a cafe where a performer from the park who would go into this cafe and move from table to table and periodically they would play Lupin lines over the sound system in the restaurant and he would lip sync to them. And it was very weird, but it didn't mean anything. That didn't stop the Lupin fans at all. They just loved it. They ate up everything of it.
1: Well, that that's the park that has... Universal Japan has a lot of anime-based oh, stuff, right? Isn't there a yeah. Neon Genesis Evangelion well, ride? And
0: what they'll do for like a three-month period every year is they'll bring in different anime shows and just do a temporary show for the park. And in fact, the, the Lupin Cafe okay. was part of that. Uh, the one I really wanted to see was they—they they at one point. You you sat in the theater in, in moving seats, and they had a thing where the— Did you ever see the Shin Godzilla, the truly terrifying, horrible—
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah,
0: that one, you know, gave me nightmares. But again, they, what they did is they have Shin Godzilla come up out of the harbor in Osaka and basically walk into Universal Studios Japan. The souvenir for this event was basically Shin Godzilla with the Universal globe, you know, the icon from the park, in his mouth as he's chewing it.
1: Did you see the trailer for Shin Ultraman that's coming soon? No! Yes. Same team, but it's Ultraman. Oh, my God.
0: Okay, folks. Sorry, we have to take a quick break. I got to go look at a trailer. Had you ever heard the story of the Out of Pass incident, incident?
1: Yes. Well, you know, me, Jim, and my... Um, proclivity to watch bad history channel monster <laughs> shows and things and yeah uh, so I, I have heard of it in the in the context of a a, a bigfoot a, a supposed bigfoot there we break.
0: go yes okay so that just to, to give you the rundown here folks this is back in 1959. Nine Russian mountaineers, it's a, a weekend group of college students, they hike into the mountains, they don't come back, uh, eventually family members and such look for them, and they find, well, I mean, it's it's a trash campsite and bodies are scattered everywhere. And, and one of the prevailing theories for this was a, a Bigfoot attack. I want to say Karen in Georgia uh, over on My Favorite Murder did uh, a show on this in the past year or so. Uh, where they went through all of the the different theories about, you know, maybe one member of the party went crazy and killed everybody. But oddly enough, this seems to have been finally solved. But in a weird twist with the help of the effects team from Frozen, do you want to explain?
1: Sure. Well, I love that this story, first of all, appeared on nationalgeographic.com. So love the corporate synergy Mm -hmm. there. Yep, yep. (laughs) Yeah. But basically – the this new hypothesis is that a avalanche killed them. And people were saying, well, how can snow do that? And, you know, like you said, they were just totally decimated mm-hmm. at this campsite. So they went to Burbank mm-hmm. and met with the animators from Frozen, mm-hmm. and the animators showed them their snow and avalanche simulations that they had developed for the movies, and they sort of applied those physics to their sort of hypothetical of what happened. And it looks like snow really can crush you in all these (laughs) horrible and fascinating ways.
0: You remember going to the, the original frozen junket and how they talked about where they made the field trip up to, I want to say Colorado and Mm -hmm. you know, they were studying snow so they could do it correctly for the film. And, Didn't the guys go so far as to actually put on Anna's dress and tromp around in the snow so they could get a sense of of how difficult it would be to move through deep snow while wearing a dress?
1: Jim, what those animators do on their own time, (laughs) we we cannot judge. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't remember that story, but I'm sure they did. They're that committed to getting everything right and clearly you know i
0: just remember distinctly the photographs of these these tall gangly effects guys in a very long skirt you know mushing through snow and it's just sort of like oh, okay well it, it's a weekend you know sure
1: i think that was the studio's uh, calendar uh, for that year as well just a lot of pinups of the various effects guys and dresses <laughs> in the snow so get your copy now jim
0: there you go there you go as long as we're talking about nine Mountaineers who lost their lives, I guess, just continue the, the somewhat depressing storyline, because, uh, what was it, just today we learned that we lost Christopher Plummer at the age of 91. Proud Canadian, born in New Toronto back in 1929. Now, obviously, most people would know him from playing Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music back in the 60s, though I'm sure there's also some truckers out there that... that Enjoyed him in the voyage home. No, the final friend. Undiscovered country. Undiscovered country. Dang it! The weird part of it is that he and Shatner had actually been in the same Royal Shakespearean Company up in Canada. In fact, I, I want to say that Shatner was Plummer's understudy, and in fact, his big big break came one night when Plummer couldn't go on, and you know, Shatner went out and played the lead, and I want to say uh, Henry the Fifth, and you know, just sort of tore up the place. And, you know, he, the Bolton went on to have oh, great careers in film and television. And, but again, this is fine tuning. We talk about animation. So Christopher did do a lot of animation work. He was Henry the Pigeon and the, uh, what is it, Fivel, An American Tale. Though that came out in 86. So the, the, if, if I get a pick, I would prefer the film that he narrated the year later. The, uh, the, the Man Who Planted Trees. Which actually took home the Academy Award that uh, year for Best Animated Short. He did have a lot of fun chewing up scenery in Rockadoodle in '92 as the grand, uh, grand Duke of Owls. But I guess for folks who are from, you know, listen to the show and we talk a lot about Pixar and, and Disney, of course, you'd know him best from his work in Up. And Drew, you came across some amazing stories. His villain character in the film has has a great exit, has a great end. Yes, but you discovered that it took a while for for Pixar to land on just the right note for uh, I'm blanking the name of the uh, the explorer Charles Muntz. There we go, Charles Muntz. Can you share some of the other th- ideas they considered?
1: Yeah, I think they had a I think they had a fair amount of trouble kind of nailing this character down. Mm. Um you and I were talking earlier, you know, that they they didn't really know why he was in South America. You know, there was this whole thing where at one point the bird had these magical eggs and he had to eat the eggs to remain young, which is why he is still alive. Because in up years he should be like a hundred and 20 or something that by the time true. Carl yeah. gets down there okay mm-hmm. um, so there was that whole plot line which they had to figure out and ultimately sort of I think they they worked it out well but yeah the, the how he how he died was a really interesting mm-hmm. conundrum because Pete doctor does not like villains he doesn't he, he's quoted as saying something like you know I don't think people go to sleep thinking ooh I'm gonna do something <laughs> evil tomorrow so <laughs> Once they decided to make him the villain, they had to decide if they were going to kill him Mm -hmm. or not, and they decided to kill him. And so there was all this discussion about how to kill him off. And my favorite one was at the end of the movie, he's chasing Kevin, Mm -hmm. and he follows the bird into those kind of crazy rocks, Mm -hmm. and it's very misty. And he shoots at Kevin. He thinks he's killed her. He goes over, and it's a balloon animal that Carl has made because we know that he— worked with balloons at the zoo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the this kind of shot just pulls out and he's just lost in this maze of rocks. They called it the shining ending. <laughs> which I think is really weird and creepy. But that was that was negated because they said that it turned the movie into Muntz's movie and not Carl's uh... movie. There was no there was no interaction between him and Carl during this whole thing and it was too removed. So mm-hmm. They tried a couple of others, which I'm going to run down right now, Jim. Mm -hmm. One of them had him thinking sort of the same setup as the rock labyrinth thing where he thinks that he sees the bird in the house. Mm -hmm. He shoots at it. It's the balloon. He goes into the house, and this is when the house is kind of teetering on the edge of the Zeppelin. All the dogs run into the house, and the house falls off the balloon, which they didn't (laughs) like because it was like, Ellie was the house, and she was involved, and mm-hmm. the dogs all died, and uh, that would have just been, yeah, have been too much. You would I, never have been able to handle it. Okay,
0: Jim. <laughs> I, I I have to admit, killing all the dogs, killing months, I can get behind. Killing a dog, no. yes. Okay,
1: right. Mm-hmm. And then there's another version where he gets he gets take he gets his foot caught in the balloons, mm-hmm. and he just sort of ascends to the heavens. And they didn't like that. Um, Co-director Bob Peterson mm-hmm. thought it was too. They didn't want people to ask, is he coming back for up two? Mm -hmm. So that that got pretty far. I mean, you can see finished animation for that moment. And ultimately, they sort of did half and half Mm -hmm. where he gets trapped in the balloons but still falls to his death, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Uh, Although, you know, you and I are often very tired of the trope of the villain falling to his death off screen, which was... (laughs) The favorite way for characters to die in the 90s, although mm-hmm. the Tarzan hanging is pretty graphic and awesome.
0: It's so interesting you, you bring <laughs> up Tarzan, because I just found Tab Murphy's original script for it, which the entire third act is them going back to London. You know, Tarzan does, in fact, go back really? with Jane, and he ends up going to the manor house of Claymore uh, or Clayton. He's revealed to be the big game hunter, and I, it ends with the manor house on fire and Tarzan saving himself by re- basically reverting to animal. But but again, it was an entirely different third act, and and you know I think it, it the beat is that he returns to the jungle and and with the notion of well now he's got to prove himself again. It's always fascinating for me that so many of these films. They they launch into production, and it's like I think the Into the Unknown thing that they just did on Disney Plus. You know, the fact that, what, they were five minutes away from, uh, five months away from release and they don't know who it is that's calling Anna? You know, the entire thing that's driving the movie and it's like, shouldn't you have worked that out before you started animating? And it's like, well, well, who's calling her? Who's, you know, (laughs) why is she going there? What's compelling it? It's like, we have no idea.
1: But keep making the toys. (laughs) You know, don't worry about it. We'll, We'll figure this out. Wow. So was any of that ever animated or boarded or anything? Do you know? They At least boarded
0: a version where it's a tiny little riverboat, like out of the African Queen, that's going up the river, and now it's Clayton and Tarzan fighting on that as it catches fire. They really, they couldn't let go of the "ooh, fire in the jungle" idea. But yeah, I, you know the, the.
1: I wonder if they were trying out anything with deep the deep canvas technology, and they could get fire to look really cool ooh. or something.
0: We should reach out to Mr. Lima and see if, you know, I yes. mean, you, you just talked to him about the Goofy movie. We, we should get him to talk about Tarzan. I
1: yes, guess. I did. He was lovely. Hmm. He, Yeah, he, his Instagram, his uh, Twitter account is always great, even when he's not sharing um, illicit photos from <laughs> monkeys of Mumbai that he's then forced to take down. <laughs> just,
0: I grabbed every one of those I could before I get pulled. And speaking of places to go on the web to to catch very entertaining things, you've got uh, Light the Fuse and Light the Wick. Uh, you know how, how how is Light the Wick going? Yeah,
1: on? it's great. It, it's going gonna be going for a while. We've got a lot of great episodes in the bag, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and there's a few Light the Fuse episodes sprinkled in there because a lot of the same. People worked on both franchises, so we get you know we we talked to him for an hour, and half of it would be about Mission Impossible, and half of it would be about John Wick. So it it uh, it worked really well, actually. So I encourage people to check it out. No,
0: oh, very cool. Speaking of other shows, we'd like you to check out. We've got Disney Dish with Lantesta. We've got uh, Universe with joint with Dustin Fuse. We got Marvelous Disney, which we do uh, with Aaron Adams. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts. And rate and recommend not only Light the Fuse, Light the Week, but also uh, fine-tuning. If you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Drew, do you want to tell them how how they can find you on social media?
1: Yeah. um, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt. And, yeah, I post a lot about animation, that's for sure. So, yeah, check it out. No,
0: definitely great stuff. Okay. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And... Thanks for listening, folks, and uh, thanks again.